media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we will be in the coming weeks. This morning we begin a four-week series, our Advent series, based on the prophecy given to Isaiah 800 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, for some, Advent is a, a common thing that you do in your home. Others, Advent is maybe something a, a new, you've heard the word, but don't know exactly what it is. Advent simply, uh, the word itself comes from the Latin meaning coming. And so how appropriate it was this morning that as we await the second Advent, that is the second coming of Christ, that, uh, that we would sing this morning about Jesus comes soon. Uh, so this time of Advent allows us to do two things. It, it's back at his first coming and how God clothed himself in flesh, but also to prepare our hearts uh, and look forward to the, the coming Christ and the promise that he will return. Last week I mentioned something, and I had a couple of people ask me afterwards, you know, Bobby, you said that, that we were living in biblical times. And I think that most of the time when we said, you know, I wish I could live in biblical times. I think most of the time we think of like a couple thousand years ago. I mean, have you ever thought what it would have been like to live in Bethlehem or to live in Nazareth or to, to be at the time in the ministry of Christ and actually see Christ? And so a lot of times in our minds when we think about living in biblical times, we think about, you know, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. We think of camels. We think of different things like that. Will you please grasp this morning that we are living in biblical times? Folks, I realize that in this word that, that most of this has already happened. Most of it is it's a history. And we can look back and say, okay, Christ was born. Oh, here's what happened with Noah and the ark. And we can look back and we can see the historical context of the story of God. But do you realize that Peter and the apostle Paul and John all wrote about the second coming of Christ. That hasn't happened yet. And so we are now in this time of Advent waiting for Christ's return. And so, folks, you are living in biblical times. You can find, you know, we just finished Revelation 21 and 22. You go to Revelation, you look at some of the writings of Paul and Peter as they talk about the last days. We're living in those days as we wait. So as much as we might think that had been cool to see a camel and just kind of be back there in Bethlehem or see the teachings of Christ or maybe participate in the feeding of the 5,000, don't for a second believe that you're not living in biblical times. And yet we have biblical truth to guide us in these times. And so this morning as we focus our hearts on Advent, this first coming of Christ, it prepares us for the second coming of Christ. And with all that in mind, I want you to open up to, again, Isaiah chapter 9. Now, again, this is 800 years, 8 centuries before the first coming of Christ. Israel, God's people, were living in dark times. And one of their foes, one of their enemies, the Assyrians, had started to invade different places and taking people captive. And that's the setting of Isaiah's writings. It's the the uh, the setting of the promises that we'll look and the prophecy that he puts forth. That in the midst of all this dark, gloomy uh, heaviness that was going on in the time, that there was a, a hope, there was a message of hope 
There was a person of hope coming. So with that in mind this morning, uh, and knowing that things were not good for God's people, in fact, look back just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. This, this kind of summarizes a lot of what the mood, what was going on. Isaiah 8, 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Pretty picture? No. There's nothing really going in the favor that they can just point to and say, okay, uh, we can tell that we're really much, very much God's people and that God is for us. No, in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all this darkness, God speaks of a hope. In fact, the next verse seems to be filled with some navigational type of information, but it's really deeply important. I love when the Bible, when we just kind of read through something and going, okay, that's a place in a town I don't know of. Here's some names that I don't know of. And yet we find out later that it has great spiritual significance. Look at Isaiah 9.1, which if you have the Hebrew Bible today, it will actually be Isaiah 8.23. In the Hebrew Bible, which is really probably a better uh, uh, rendering of this, they add it to chapter 8. In our Bibles, remember that when people came and put chapters and verses, man did that, okay? Hopefully guided by God, but but I don't know that we can say, okay, yeah, this is chapter 8, and God meant for it to be chapter 8. But in the Hebrew Bibles, this is Isaiah 8.23. In your Bible, it's Isaiah 9.1. And look what it says. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the weight of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, let's be real honest for a second. If this was your morning devotion and you just read Isaiah 9-1, how many of you are going to be inspired for the next 24 hours? Go, man, that is rich. That is significant. That will help me get over the hump today. When we read that, it just seems like places that we've never heard of and, you know, we don't even really know the fullness of, of, you know, what it's saying. So let me add some fullness to it. Not, not me, but let the Bible add fullness to what we just read in Isaiah 9-1. Go over to Matthew chapter 4, real quick. Beginning of the ministry of Christ. Matthew chapter 4. Starting with verse 12. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Who is this he? It's Christ. It's Jesus. Okay? He's now uh, starting his ministry. Remember, John was the one who came before him and announced that the ministry would would exist. And and John gets arrested. And Jesus withdraws to, to Galilee. Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of where? Zebulon and Naphtali. So that it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Folks, that's the beginning 
of their earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew 4.17 For that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see that? I mean, I realize that I am a theological nerd. I, I realize that when I get into the Word, it's like, I'll say something and Carly will go, Okay. <laughs> and it's not that she doesn't see significance, but I'm just kind of hanging on this and that and how it's all connected. One of the coolest things to me as, as just a believer is how you can read these things in the different parts of the Bible. And as you begin to research them, as you begin to dig down deeper, you see that they're connected. They're all deeply connected. And here at the beginning of the ministry of Christ, he quotes Isaiah, this very passage. He says, today, today it's been fulfilled. God is always connecting. He's always working. But we may not always see that, but it's really an important point for us to understand so that we just don't go on emotions, folks. We have deep truth. We have good theology. We have solid things of God to base our emotions on. Here this nation is in darkness. Now, the the, the prophecy isn't going to happen for another 800 years. The last 400 of those years are going to be silenced from the prophets. And so if you're in a time of darkness, you, you want somebody to encourage you with a little bit of light. And yet this encouragement that comes is not for the, the moment of those people of that day. God always working in the midst of eternity, his plan. That's the encouragement that we have that sometimes when we feel like there's darkness in our life, well, God, you promised light, you promised hope. In God's way, in God's time, God will work that out. Now, folks, please don't hear that as some just kind of, you know, a pastor trying to say, okay, God's just going to take care of everything. He is going to take care of everything. Not not my hope based on an emotion. Christianity isn't, cross your fingers. Christianity is based on the work of God, revealed in the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God. That's what's going to get you through on Monday, folks. Not some emotion that can be so here and there. Have you ever been like way, way up here? And then all of a sudden something major happened to the car. And you find yourself going from here to here because of one of life's circumstances. Nothing of an internal nature, but just something that happened that day. Or have you ever been here before and then God does something like your God story from yesterday. That all of a sudden God just shows himself. I used to teach sixth grade boys. It was one of my first jobs in ministry. And uh, that's a peculiar bunch, sixth grade boys. Coolest guys on earth are sixth grade boys. But they will test you. They'll test you, is this really true? And so one of the things we used to do, we, we said, you know, just finding God's fingerprints. And it was so cool to see sixth grade boys come in the next Sunday going, hey, I have a God sighting. Here's where I saw the fingerprints of God in my life this week. I mean, why even get to the lesson? (laughs) If they're telling testimony of how they see God working in their lives. We're emotional people. But we are not built to truly have hope in our emotions. Does that make sense? We're to have hope in truth. 
And in solid truth, we can have emotional hope even when there's darkness. That's what we begin to see in this passage. So let's not, let's not run through this. Folks, let's walk slowly. Let's pause. Let's wonder. Let's breathe deeply the beauty of God. What he's predicting 800 years before it would ever happen. That on our present journey, we await the second advent, the second coming of Christ, that God is a promise keeper. How many of you intellectually know that? And your your emotions have been challenged by that? Last week. (laughs) I mean, we believe to be true. That's why it's called faith. And yet sometimes faith and emotions are just emotions of the day. seems to be kind of totally discombobulated from one another, disconnected from one another, that our emotions are here. And and yet we know deep down inside that this is the truth of God. God ever wants us to take his truth and, and he wants our emotions to be governed, built upon the foundation of truth. That's why it's so important for us even today as we begin this study and look at the four titles of Christ, what is the setting? How is this truth? Why was it important then? Why is it important now? So out of this significant territory that Isaiah says, because believe me, back in the Old Testament, Galilee was not a place of great honor. If you were going to send the Messiah based on like the Old Testament, where do you think the Jewish people thought that the Messiah would come? What city? Jerusalem. I mean, they would say capital city. This is the glory of the, of the temple and everything. This is where Christ would come. And, and yet he doesn't come. He comes to an insignificant place called Bethlehem. He, he grows up in an insignificant place, the Galilee, that, that very much was uh, not really all that much different from the Samaritans. And yet God predicts it. God fulfills it. And God shows us ever that he's a promise keeper. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light shone. Light has shone. It is this continuing theme of lightness and dark and uh, that God begins to, to show our need and his answer of a Messiah. God reminds us, that, that he's a covenant keeper, even when we are covenant breakers. At Christmas time, we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Have you ever thought through some of the verses that we sing? I mean, it's one of my favorite hymns, one of my favorite Christmas songs. I mean, look at the words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom what? Captive Israel. Well, that's what he's talking about here. Israel, God's people, and they're captive by who? The Assyrians. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. These verses have meaning. I'm not saying that these are ordained. I'm just saying they're reflecting ordained truth. They're built on something, guys. And this is the story. So God promises a Messiah, and then he begins to describe this Messiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are titles of Jesus Christ. These are not descriptions of things that he would do. This is who he is. One of my discipleship guys, we were talking about that just a couple of weeks ago. We are going through the attributes of God. And we're going, okay, we've got to make sure that we understand that these are not traits of what God does. For example, you and I, can we be loving people? Yeah. And so that's a trait that we have. We can show that trait. God does not show the trait of love. He is love. There's no difference between you and I and him. He is, he is these things. When, when he says that he's just, that's who he is. He doesn't just do just things. You and I may do some justice, some injustice. It's who God is. And so these titles of Christ are not just things that he's going to do. It's who he is. And we'll look at how Christ fulfilled this prophecy and how looking at these parts of the prophecy are still waiting to be fulfilled. And before examining the four different titles, I, I want to make sure that we see and declare the important distinction that happened in the first part of verse 6. See where it says, "For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. When you look into that, it's make, Isaiah is making two distinctions there. For to us a child is born, this child will have human flesh. It's talking about the humanity of Christ. Then it says, uh, to us the son is given. This is very similar to the begotten, what we see the word begotten in the New Testament. This talks of his deity. This is going to be a God-man. 100% God, 100% man. How many of y'all have figured out what that really means? It's one of those great mysteries. I can remember in seminary one time we asked one of the smartest. He was considered one of the top theologians in the world, one of the top ten theologians in the world, said, okay, will you explain to us a little bit, at least in human terms, I mean, ways that we could understand with our little feeble minds, what it means is that God was 100% man, 100% God. One of the top ten theologians in the world. He says, I believe with all my heart. I know that it is truth, but I cannot explain it except for this simple statement that God in Christ, 100% deity, 100% God, and yet 100% humanity. I mean, if it was just 50-50, we can get that, right? So I got 50% here and 50% here, that kind of makes sense. But to be all God and yet all human is miraculous. It's exactly what it is. And so we begin to see that. We often use this word incarnation to describe how holy God put on flesh and dwelt among us. It's one of the greatest wonders of the entire Bible, but it's a necessary wonder. Without it, we have no hope. Uh, Look at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Okay, God, again, in his master plan, orchestrating everything, sovereign over all things, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, human, born under the law. Now, why was this necessary? That he be human, even though he's deity, to redeem those that were under the law, that's us, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, we see this connection of the importance that Jesus was the God-man. We see it in very theological terms. We see it in very practical terms. So that you and I have a great high priest that knows what we're going through. Why? Because he walked this earth. One of the greatest wonders of the Bible, and yet we see it here pronounced. Now follow that thought for a second. Because the title that is listed in Isaiah's description of the Messiah is that he is Wonderful Counselor. All my English folks, what do we call what type of word wonderful is if we throw all that together? Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful would be what? Starts with an A. An adjective, yes, yes. It's an adjective. It's not an adjective here. It's not an adjective. He's not saying, okay, he's a counselor, and he's a darn good one at that. He's wonderful. It's really kind of amazing what Isaiah does. He uses this word wonderful to describe nature. It's a noun. It's not a, an adjective of counselor. It's a, it is truly the title of Christ. It's wonderful. What does that word mean? It means incomprehensible, amazing. If you've ever been blown away by the majesty of God, how big and indescribable God is, you're in good company. Because Isaiah, even in this prophecy, uses this word wonderful as a noun, not as an adjective, to describe the very being of Christ. In a way, it was as if Isaiah was saying, I'm trying to describe something that is indescribable. Have you ever... And had a loss of words when you're trying to do something like that. It's what Isaiah, the prophet. And his name shall be wonderful. Don't connect it to counselor yet. It's not an adjective describing what kind of counselor he is. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's indescribable. And even though it looks like a compound, compound phrase, Isaiah describes the Messiah to be a uh, wonderful, and, and then he says that he's a counselor. That word means to be full of wisdom. It means to have the fullness of wisdom. There's there's no wisdom that is left to be understood. How many of you would say that you're more wise today than you were five years ago? So so we see a growth pattern. We we see the potential of well, it wasn't always this smart and this wise, but over the years through a lot of skin, knees, and a lot of life circumstances, of gaining some wisdom. How many of that would that be your testimony? And yet, would you say that today that you're full of wisdom? You think there's a capacity to learn even more? That's true of you and I, but it's not too true of this Messiah. He is God. He is all wise. He's not evolving into more and more wisdom. He is all wise. Can you imagine being all wise? Well, we can't. What a description of God. He's wonderful. This Messiah is going to be wonderful. He's beyond description. He's amazing. We stand in all of him. And, and he's a counselor. He's, he's all wise. He is wisdom incarnate. In many ways, this description reflects what Isaiah would say in his writings in chapter 40, verse 13. Look real quick, Isaiah 40, 13 through 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? 
Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice or, or taught him knowledge or showed him the way of understanding? Do, do those two verses make sense to you? Does it make sense why God has never called you up in the middle of the night and said, hey, what do you think about this? I say, who's measured the spirit of the Lord? What man has, has he ever gone and counseled God? This is the description of the Messiah that would come. He's overwhelming. He's beyond what we can even imagine. He is incomprehensible. He is amazing. And he's full of wisdom. And this is just the first title of Christ, the first two titles that we see here that Isaiah gives. Now, now what's the significance of that? Remember last week when we talked about Mary and Martha and how a lot of times in our life it's going to be a challenge to our faith and how a lot of times we're going to act in response to this challenge is not so much in disbelief or unbelief. Mary and Martha, they didn't have unbelief. Jesus, if, he, if you would have been here, Lazarus, our brother, wouldn't have died. That's a statement of faith. That's a belief. That's not unbelief. But we used a word last week, and it's just my word, so it's not ordained or anything like that, but we used the word, were Mary and Martha confused? Now, are there going to be times that we, people of faith, knowing who God is, are going to come upon circumstances in our life that we're confused? Okay, God, I don't know why you're doing this at this time in, in this way. There's going to be times, it's not so much a rejection of faith, it's not so much uh, that we just don't believe, but we're just confused. I think that really kind of characterizes Mary and Martha's response last week. I mean, Martha says, you know, I know that I'll see my brother again in the resurrection. She believes not only for this world, but in the world to come. And yet Jesus had something in mind. Remember, he said, okay, all this has happened. I delayed back here. I waited two extra days to come so that Lazarus, by the time I would get there, would be dead for four days. He wasn't just dead. He was dead, dead, according to the Pharisees. They thought for three days the the soul kind of hung around. Jesus waits four days. Lazarus isn't just dead. To put in Martha's, his own sister, he's stinking dead. Remember? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. That's what she said. The body stinks by now. And Jesus responds, I did this so that they might see the glory of God that they might believe that is ever working. Ever working so that we might believe, that we might see his glory. We begin to see here that he's working these things. In the midst of darkness, he promises a Messiah. This Messiah will be fully God and, and, and fully man. He'll be wonderful beyond description. Counselor, full of wisdom. No room for growth to get more wise. And yet, this isn't going to happen for another 800 years. The last 400 of those, as I said before, silence without a fresh word from God through the prophets. 
being very honest today, guys, very, very transparent. Has that seemed like your life before? Has there ever been a moment in your life that you have belief, you, you have the truth of God, and yet uh, to see that truth come into action, to, into fulfillment, it seems like it's 800 years, and half of those years being silent? What do we have when God seems silent? We have the truth of his word. We know God hasn't spoken to me today. Pick up your Bible, guys. I'm not trying to be silly. Pick up your Bible. You want to hear from God every day? Pick up your Bible. Get into the Word of God. He will speak to you every day. This is the Word of God. I've never heard God audibly in my life. He speaks to me every day through His Word, through His Spirit. You know, sometimes we see from the gut, sometimes from the heart, sometimes from the head. But if I ever say, you know, God, I just haven't heard from you lately. I need to go to the Word because He will speak daily to us through His Word. Folks, I promise you, sometimes it is going to be like milk toast. It's like, okay, you finish your, your devotion for the morning. It's like, you can't even remember what you just read. I realize there's days like this. But there's other days that God will speak the Word in such a profound way to our need and where we are that day to give us hope and encouragement, light in the darkness. Light in the darkness. Oh, captive Israel, here's your hope. I will send Emmanuel, Messiah. Tomorrow, God? Well, well, not tomorrow. (laughs) Next year? Oh, not next year. In fact, 800 years. Is the promise of God that he will send a Messiah in 800 years as good as the promise of God that he will send the Messiah tomorrow? If we believe that it's God and it's his truth, it's as good today. Is the promise of Christ's return, it's now been delayed 2,000 years, is this as fresh and as solid today for us to believe that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will return in majesty and glory? Is it as good today as it was 2,000 years ago? Because it's based on his truth. You and I, I mean, I mean, we kid sometimes and other times we're quite, quite serious. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come today. And yet, we can take that this promise of a Messiah is in the full wisdom of God, just like he's called full wisdom here. So let's put it all together. God's people living in the midst of darkness. God promises a Messiah to bring light and hope. The Messiah will be so wonderful that he's beyond description. The Messiah will be so full of wisdom, nothing is behind him. What does that mean to you this morning? What does it mean as we wander in darkness? What does it mean when we're confused by what God is doing in our lives? What does it mean as we await Christ's return? That God has promised and God will fulfill. That he is sovereign and he is working his ways. His ways are all wise. There's nothing beyond him. 
God's not waiting for certain things to happen that are beyond his reach and his control. Y'all remember waiting to turn 16 to drive a car? Oh my goodness, longest year of your life, 15 to 16. Oh my goodness. It was never... How many of y'all went the day you turned 16 to actually get your license? The day you turned 16? Yeah. We couldn't wait. In our timetable, in, in, in our mind, we're going, man, here's the day. We've got it on the calendar. 20 days left, 19 days left, 18 days left. And so tempting it is to take the things of God and the promises of God and say, okay, God, you're, you're waiting for this day. No, he, just as the Bible says that at the perfect time, remember what we read before? At the perfect time, he sent forth his son. Guess what, guys? At the perfect time, he will send forth his son. This is our hope in the Advent and our waiting for the return of Christ. Will you get this morning, will you grasp this morning that you are living in biblical times? I mean, maybe not a camel coming through. I don't know that we're going to have camels out there in the the midst of the parking lot this morning. But will you grasp this morning that you are living in biblical times? This is not finished yet. He's still doing his work among the nations, upon the, the people of God. He is working eternity before us. What does that mean for us? It means that we need to go back to truth. In the same way that those Israelites, the people of Israel, God's people, taking captive, can you imagine the doubt that would come as the Assyrian armies began to flood the land, as they began to take family members and take them away? Can you imagine? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? You said you were going to bring a Messiah, and they just took my child. They just took my, my, my wife or my husband. Can you imagine how in times that before God it brings fulfillment that there's confusion and doubt and unbelief? Wonderful counselor. Actually, two different words, two different descriptions. We could easily say that they stand on their own. Wonderful is not the description of the kind of counseling that he does. This is who our Messiah is. And in the midst of waiting, Israel had to put faith in the character of God, the person of God, the promise of God. And for you and I living in a darkened world. That's how we survive to next day. This is how we get from, from darkness to, to light. By coming back and saying, okay, God, I, I thought it might be tomorrow. I, I, I thought by now you would have done this. By now you would have done this. One of my favorite songs years ago, Lord, I thought by now you would have taken the rain away storm away, but I will praise you in the storm. How do you praise somebody in the midst of the storm when you thought that it had already been gone? Knowing the truth of the promise keeper, the sovereignty, the majesty, the holiness, the wisdom of the promise keeper. 
Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. What does it mean that Jesus came and he clothed himself in flesh? Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is the hope of the incarnation. This is the hope of the gospel being lived out, the victory of Christ over sin, death, and grace. This is the hope of people who walk in the midst of darkness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I think that we affirm many times that this theological truth that, uh, that, you, that Christ was fully God and, and, and yet fully man. And yet, Father, I don't know that we really grasp the significance of that. Father, what that means. What we just read in the Hebrews, Father, even. That you have given to us a high priest. He is wonderful. He's beyond description. He's more than our mind could ever imagine. That he is counselor, full of wisdom. No room for growth. There there is nothing that he does not have wisdom about. This is our Messiah. And so, Father, today as we walk in in present darkness, awaiting the advent, the return of your Son, Father, will you you help us to have comfort? Will you build up our, our lack of faith, Father, with this truth of your word and who you are and your promise that you, sovereign God, are a covenant keeper, that you're a promise keeper that your word will come forth and by the power of your very spirit Father will you empower us keep us to this day Father keep us until that time when the clouds open up and your son comes to take his bride home Father we love you we thank you and we praise you that you have sent the Messiah You've given us truth and not just emotion. You've given us truth to guide our emotions. And we thank you and we praise you. For you are worthy of our praise. And we lift this prayer up to you, Father. In the truth of Christ. and the reality of who he is. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.